But anyway, going back to the subject, that, that apostasy takes place after revival. And the devil is, is moving because he knows one thing. If he knows anything, he knows this, that his time is short. And if his time is short, then we know that the coming of the Lord is coming and our time is short. How many of us understand that? And so we need to, to make sure that we're walking in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, okay? And Paul, Paul says, plan, plan your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling, okay? And we need to do that. And so Paul has to come and put this church in order, and he puts this church in order, and then he's going to write this second letter to the Corinthians because they put the church in order. Now, <clears throat> it always makes a pastor feel good when you preach a message and people start living by that message, when it's a difficult message to preach. And how many of you know there are difficult messages to preach? Because, because you know when in your congregation <clears throat> there might be some of those problems that are there. <clears throat> I'm going to have to get a Kleenex here. Now, I did <clears throat> get a cough drop from uh, Pastor Don. <clears throat> when I was a kid, my mom put Vicks Vapor rub all over me. How many of you remember that nasty stuff? And I learned to hate it. And so what does he do? He gives me a Vicks cough drop this morning. Blew my head open. All right. But it works. It did work. It did work. <clears throat> so we're going we're gonna to look how Paul set this church up a little bit. So just put up, first of all, the eighth verse. Just the eighth verse. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. That's all. Now I'm going to read it out of mine. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. You see, <clears throat> for though I caused you sorrow, he says, by my letter, and what, what did he have to do? He had to set the church in order. He had to come in and say, kick some of them out. It's a hard thing when you have to kick somebody out of church. But do you know every now and then you have to do it? Do you hear me? When the Jezebel spirit comes into your church, get it out of there as fast as you can get it out. When the chorus spirit comes in, when the Absalom spirit comes in, get it out of there. Get it out of there. And if people don't want to change, then you have to ask them to leave. Yes, there are times when you have to ask people to leave if they don't want to surrender under the mighty hand of God. Because, Paul, because Christ himself teaches, that, thank you, I'll take that. <clears throat> because Christ himself teaches that, that in, in Revelation that there's some things you just got to get out of the church. And the Jezebel spirit is one of them. Interesting thing about the Lord he said this, I give her time to repent, and she wouldn't. So God always gives us time to repent, even Jezebel. And he says this, he says, for, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter. He, he wasn't that he purposely wanted to cause him sorrow. It's not that I purposely want to cause you sorrow today. I might cause you sorrow, but it's not what I want to do. You know, it's not, it's not that I want to cause President Biden 
uh, I don't, it's not that I want to cause him sorrow. I just want him to get saved. How many of you heard that? Somebody, well, he might. No, he's not saved. Now, you say you can't say that. I just did. You want me to try it again? He's not saved. Okay, now I'm going to get a lot of feedback from that. Okay. And Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they're not saved. And you say, well, yes, they are. No, no, you can't condemn and kill children and say you're saved. Can't do it. Okay, you can't do that. There's certain things you can't do. Understand that. So he says this. He says, so I, I just want people to get saved. You see, I'd like to see the President of the United States get saved. I'd like to see the Senate and the Congress get saved. And if they don't get saved, then I'd like to see them get out. Right? And I'd like to see them get out because so many Christians go to the voting booth and so many conservatives go to the voting booth that we vote out progressive liberals. You say, you can't do that in the church. I just did. Now, they might take away our 501c3. That's fine with me. They might do a lot of things. But understand, the truth is still the truth. And the letter killeth, the Bible says, if you don't receive it. Okay? So he says, now listen to what he says. He says, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I, do not, I don't regret it. He don't regret it. He said, I don't regret it. It had to be done. Read the book, read, read, read the book of Galatians and watch how Paul opposes Peter when, when Peter resorted back to the law. Watch how he, he, he opposes Barnabas when they resorted back to the law. Listen, he says, I opposed him face to face. He said, I stood nose to nose and looked him in the eye. And listen to what he says. He said, and you stand condemned. That's what he said. He said to Peter, he said, you stand condemned. He, he's saying to them, I wrote this letter to you because you needed to get your, your, yourself stri- straight with the Lord Jesus Christ and get the church where it is an honor to go to church and it, where you want to go to church because the power of God is there where there's healing and where there's deliverance and the blessing of the Lord is there. You want to go to that church? That's the church you need to have. He said, so I don't regret it. He said, I don't regret it at all. And so we look at that. See, when, when Paul opposed Peter, it wasn't because he didn't like Peter. Because he did like Peter. It was he didn't like the gospel that Peter was preaching at that time. Then he says something that sounds like he's uh, contradicting himself when he's not. Though I did regret it, did his past tense. Now look what he said. I do not regret it. That's present tense. Though I did regret it, when he he wrote it, it was a hard letter. There's there's times when you've got to stand up as a pastor and you've got to preach truth. And you, 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 you regret that. Because you're thinking this, how many, uh, am I going to destroy anybody in the church? Am I going to hurt somebody in the church? I don't want to do that, but I'm not going to what? Sacrifice the word of God for your feelings, for my own feelings. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to dilute the word of God so that we can all feel good when we walk out of here and we continue to walk in our sin and transgression. That is not what God wants us to do. He said, I do not regret it. He said, though I did regret it. He said, because it was a hard one to write. The one who has to chase and takes a lot of responsibility. He took a lot of responsibility on himself. He took a lot of responsibility on himself. He's going right down the line. He said, this is what you got to do. He said, the sexual sin in your church is so bad, you cast that one out if they don't want to get right with the Lord and turn him over to the devil so that his flesh might be saved. That's what he says. That's what he said. He said that. 
And, and see, what the church was doing was tolerating some things that was going on. He, he has to set the gifts in order. Listen to me. I, I don't care if you're a Baptist, Methodist, Pre Presbyterian, or what you are. He didn't take the gifts out of the church. He set them in order. How many of you see that? He did not take those gifts out of the church. He just set them in order. Now what he's going to do, he's going to chasten. And there are some times when chastening has to be done. And there is a chastening that needs to take place in the White House. There is a chastening that needs to take place in the Congress. There is a chastening that needs to take place in the Senate. Now listen to me. There's a chastening that needs to take place in our laws here in our state. And there are chastenings that need to take place for the Lord Jesus Christ right here in our own city. It has to be. And when the one who does the chase, chastening, that's not a good, good place to be. How many of you ever had to chasten your child? I'm talking about giving your child a spanking, and you did not enjoy that. You know, when you tell that kid, this hurts me worse than it does you, that kid looks at you and says, no, it don't. But sometimes it does. But it, it, it does, but does it have to be done? Let me tell you what the, what the Lord says. The Lord says the parent that doesn't chase their, chasten their children doesn't love that child. Doesn't love that child. And what has the public school done? It's taking chastening out and letting kids do anything that they want to do. And look what we have today. You see, the one who chastened takes a lot of responsibility on himself. Paul took a lot of responsibility on himself because God gave him the responsibility. God takes all responsibility for the church. God takes responsibility for his children. Get out of order and see if God don't take you to the woodshed. Get out of order and see if he doesn't take you to the woodshed. God will take you to the woodshed. If he has to take you to the woodshed, he'll do it. And some of you might be in there right now. Some of us might be in there right now. Okay? And then he says this. Now look what he says here. Let me get back in. He said, I did not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Listen, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow. That's good sorrow. Here's, here's what we do. Sorrow is good when it's godly. Godly sorrow penetrates the soul. You know who said that? I did. God gave it to me last night. I'm going to give it to you again. Sorrow is good when it's godly sorrow. Godly sorrow penetrates the soul. Penetrates. This word needs to penetrate us. So that we want to change. So that we want to live for the Lord. We want to be a holy people. For without holiness no man shall what? See God. This is what he says. He says, and, and this sorrow is only for a while. This sorrow is only for a while. In 1 Corinthians, you know what? They took the word that he gave them and they changed. And they changed. And he says, this is what will save you let me tell you what's going to save America, godly sorrow. Let me tell you what's going to save the church, godly sorrow. Let me tell you what's going to save your family, godly sorrow. Let me tell you what's going to save you and what's going to save me is godly sorrow. 
We need that sorrow or that unction of the Holy Spirit to penetrate us like we've never been penetrated before. Verse 9, bring verse 9 up. <clears throat> now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive what it was that that you might receive damaged by by us in nothing. Okay, so let me let me go with mine. Is that the King James? Because we got a lot of yay and days in there. Keep it up. That's good. Okay, so verse nine. He said, "I now rejoice." Look, look what he says. He says, "I now rejoice." He said, "I now rejoice." He said, "Not that you were made sorrowful. I'm not rejoicing in the fact that you were made sorrowful." It, it, it's, it's not what the intention was to make you sorrowful, he said to the Corinthian church. He said, I'm not rejoicing in that, that you were made sorrowful. I now rejoice because the church has become more aware of God. Listen to this. I now rejoice because you're not only more aware of God, you're more aware of your sin. I, I'm not, I, only, I don't rejoice... Uh, because of sorrow, I rejoice, listen, because you're more aware of Christ. I'm rejoicing in the fact that you're aware of God. I'm rejoicing in the fact that you're aware of your sin. I'm rejoicing in the fact that you're aware of Christ and, and the gospel itself. He said, I'm rejoicing in the, in the fact of what sorrow did to you. We don't like to do that. I remember a mother in our school. She had... A cute little girl, that her daughter was cute, but she was the meanest kid I've ever seen even to this day. That little girl had difficulties. And she pushed a kid down the step and he broke his arm. And the mother said, I said, you need to whoop that kid. And she, oh, she said, she's too cute. That, that little girl had terrible life growing up. One day my daughter told me, shut up. She might be watching this. She's about 12 years old. And I said, go to your room. And she went to her room, and I walked in there. She said, you can't come in my room. So I come in here anytime I want to. This is my house. You get to stay here because I let you. How many of you know that? Even though we don't care for Bill Cosby anymore, I like what he did say, I'll take you away and make another one. Is what he said, you know. He said this, you know what, what, what's the matter with us? Why don't we want to raise children no more? He said, I now rejoice. I like verse 9. He said, I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful. Look what he says. Not, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Everybody say repentance. Now, now watch what this means. Now that you were made sorrowful to the point you change your mind. Now, see, repent means that I turn from sin and I turn to God. And so if you truly repent from sin, guess what? You're not going to do it no more. Why? Because you turned away from it. You're walking away from it. You're going towards God. So you don't say so people, I repented, Pastor. No, you didn't repent because you picked it back up. How many of you know that, that, that the way of a transgressor is hard? You know what a transgressor is? A transgressor is one who lays something down, picks it back up, lays it down, and picks it back up. That's horrible. All of you that smoke, how many times have you laid it down and picked it up, laid it down and picked it up? Or you have, you have uh, 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 
a bondage of any type. You just laid it down and you pick it up. You lay it down and you pick it up. It's transgression, and that's hard to do. He says this, though. I want you to look at what he says. He says, not, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. So the word repent and the word repentance is two different words. Now, the word repentance means you changed your mind about how you're viewing things. The godly sorrow struck them and penetrated the depth of their soul. And when it penetrated the depth of their soul, that was the Holy Spirit penetrating them to the depth of, of their bowels, to the depth of their heart, to the depth of their soul. And all they wanted to do was change. And what, well, how did they have to change or could they change was through repentance or through the changing of the mind. And so the Bible teaches us that there has to be a renewing every single day in the mind. Somebody give me an amen on that. And so he says this. He says, not that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, but you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. I like that. But you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, and you were made sorrowful to, according to the will of God. Paul writes to the Romans, and she's going to pull Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then I'm going to kind of get in that a little bit. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here, let's go to the next one. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's it. What is the will of God? Listen to what the will of God is. The will of God is this. Number one, present your bodies a living sacrifice. This body. Present this body, your soul and your spirit, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? It's talking about a lamb that is sacrificed on an altar and has been sacrificed for the sin of the people. Listen, he said, you present your body as a living sacrifice. You are the sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And what was the ultimate sacrifice? That he give himself up for us, that, that his blood might cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he says this. He said, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not something that's dead, but something that's lively in the Holy Spirit. Living as a sacrifice unto God. What is that? You're dead to the sins of the world. You've sacrificed to them. And it's over. It's dead. It's gone. And now you're going to sacrifice to who? God. How do you sacrifice in this day and age? Like this. When Samuel comes to when Samuel comes to Saul, he said, what's that I hear bleeding? He saw the sheep. Then Oagag walks up there. When, when, when God said, I want you to kill all the Amalekites. He said, why did you keep them sheep? He said, well, I wanted to keep the best for God. Then Agag comes up there. There's an Agag in people's lives, believe me. So he says, Saul, give me your sword. And he takes the sword of Saul and he cuts Agag into all kinds of pieces. Hacks him to pieces right there. Kills him. Now watch what he says to Paul. He said, uh, to Saul, he said, it's better to obey than sacrifice. What is sacrifice? Today, sacrifice is this, us worshiping the Lord and praising the Lord. That's our living sacrifice. Listen to what's better than that. Obeying the word 
of God is better than even, even lifting your hands in sacrifice. But Paul says that you are a living sacrifice. So what do you want to do? You want to obey the word of God. And as you obey the word of God, then you stand and you praise the Lord and you worship him and you make sacrifice to him. Everybody got that? Present your bodies. Now listen to what he says. Holy, which is your service of work, worship. How, how did we come up with this? I worship you. I worship you. Ah, I got one better. How about this? Follow me with the camera. I worship you. I worship you. What? How did we ever get into that mess? How about I worship you, Lord? How about that my voice rings out and I don't care who hears and I don't care who sees or what's going on. I worship you, Lord. Whatever happened to that? He said, that's what I have to do. And then he says this. He says, and don't be conformed to this world. Yesterday, Nancy and I go to Hannibal because somebody lied to us. Somebody in this church, and you know who you are. Said, so go to Hannibal, man. The trees are really pretty down there. There ain't wasn't no leaves on them trees. All, well, there were some of them, but most of them leaves were gone. So we, Nancy and I took a walk along the Mississippi River and had a great time yesterday. So we, we like to go to junk stores, and we watched, walked in the Salvation Army junk store, and when we did, all of the people there were dressed like witches and warlocks and ghosts and everything. And people, it was, it was so sacrilegious, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And it, it was something, and I'm just, I'm just keep thinking, I wonder what William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, is thinking right now. I wonder what William Booth, what, what, wonder what he thinks that's happened to the Salvation Army when the Salvation Army was a holiness church and believed in God and holiness. And when old Booth got to preach in the Church of England, he looked down there at that bishop, and here's what he said. He said, if you're not saved, you're going to die and go to hell. They said the bishop stood straight up, and when he stood straight up, he said, teach me how to get saved. What happened to us, people? What happened to us? He said, don't be conformed to this world. We're so conformed to this world, we don't even know it anymore. We go along with what the government's saying. Hey, listen, you say I hate the government. I don't hate the government. I don't like those people and what they're doing in the government. How many of you know that? I don't like what's taking place in the government. And I think that we need to come back. And I think as citizens of the United States of America, we have the right to voice our opinion when things are wrong. Somebody say amen to that. We have the right to voice our opinion when the church is out of order. And the church today is out of order. If ever the church was out of order, it's today. Don't be conformed to this world. Now watch what he says. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Reading the word. Studying the word. Let God be inside of you. By, it'll transform you. Nancy's reading Proverbs. We're coming to church. And she read one scripture that, wow, smacked me. 
And here's what it said. It said that God, that, that man can have too many riches. It said men can have too much wealth. And I'm just going to paraphrase it, and it'll take them right away from God. Wealth. Wealth, and that's what we've looked for. You know, it was uh, Martin Luther, and uh, no, it was John Huss. And the, the Pope said to old Huss, he said, uh, we don't have to say that anymore, silver and gold have I none. Talking about the Catholic Church. And old Huss said, neither can you say arise in the name of Jesus and walk. How many of you know that? We got a lot of silver and gold, but do we have the power of God where we can say in the name of Jesus, arise and walk? Oh, I forgot. We don't believe in that no more. But we better get back to believing that because it's the word of God. How many of you know that? He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now watch this, that you may prove what the will of God is. That you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. In order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Listen to what he says. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss through us. It's an amazing thing. I've got about 14 more pages. I, I'm only going to give you seven more. I remember the first time Pastor Bill preached for us. We had a, we had a clear pulpit. And you could see through the pulpit. And I'm sitting with Mark Linder. And he, it was that thick. Looked up through there, and there his message. And it was that thick with paper. Mark Linder said, Pastor, we're going to be here all day. I said, no, we're not. And he said, why? And I said, Bill, I can only have three words to each paper. He writes the big. Verse 10. Verse 10. I'm going to read it to you. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without reg reg regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. How many of you see that? For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces Listen to me. God wants to see fruit in our life being produced. We, if, if you will let God take a hold of you, He'll do things through you that will just, it'll mess your mind up. <clears throat> and then, and then you, you'll always come back to this. It's not anything that you're doing. It's all that God's doing. We, we have every, we have, we have some young people in, in our school that can't participate because of their mental abilities. And yet, they're participating in every form, and it wasn't anything that Pastor Bill or Doris or myself or Nancy or, or Sherry or Monica, or Melissa. It wasn't nothing that we sat around the table and we said, okay, let's do this and that. 
It wasn't like we said, with these three kids, we're going to, let's do this and let's do that. We're setting some kind of order up so that maybe we can see some healing come through. It's not that at all. It's God's doing it by his own sovereignty. And he's just using us. And then, one little, we had one little guy left, wasn't singing. Isn't that right, Pastor? We said, hey, you want to sing? And he goes, well, what do you want to sing? What do you want to sing? He wanted to sing, everything's going to be, be all right. Everything's going to be, be all right. And you know what? It was amazing that when he got to sing that and the school was going out, them, them kids were going out of school, everything's going to be, be all right. How many of you know everything's going to be all right? You know why it is? Because God's in control. And you know what? I'm believing, I'm believing that everything's going to be all right in our nation. Why? Because we're going to give it back to God. God's in control. He said, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance. And that repentance means a change of mind and heart without regret. Having victory that doesn't bring consequences. And what does it do? It leads to salvation. Leads to salvation. Repentance leads to salvation. Salvation sozo. Here's what it is. We know this. Salvation is redemption. It's healing. It's deliverance. It's, it's resurrection. But listen to this. Here's what, here's what Paul said to the, to the Romans. He, he, sa he said this. He said, confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Okay. But he says this to the, the, uh, the Corinthians. He says, repent with the heart of godly sorrow. Of godly sorrow. You know why people aren't getting saved? Here's why people aren't getting saved. They're walking up and they're just mouthing it. Because we've made it so easy. Hey, it's not easy to get saved, people. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not easy to get saved. It's easy to give your heart to the Lord once you've done made that walk. It's, hard, it's easy to give your heart to the Lord once you've made that decision. But it is not easy. How many times have you sat in a chair and not moved? when you know the Holy Spirit has called you? How many times have you missed a healing in your life when the Holy Spirit beckons you and you know that he's called you? How many times have I done that myself? How many times have we just sat down and not moved when we know that the Holy Spirit and the unction of God is moving on us, but yet we sit there? We sit there because we're like in concrete. It's amazing. I'll tell you why. Because we've made grace really, really cheap. John 6.44 says this. says, you can't come to the Lord unless the Holy Spirit convicts you. You can't come to the Lord unless the Holy Spirit convicts you. So it says. And when the Holy Ghost is convicting you, wow. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to break your heart. And how's he going to break your heart? Because he's going to show you that you have sinned against his God. Hmm. And you say, how have you sinned against his God? Because I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Here's how we sin against God. When we refuse to receive his son as our personal savior. That's it right there. When, if you don't make heaven, you are not going to go to hell because of your sin you will go because you have rejected the one who died on Calvary for you. How many of you know that? 
And when I say you, I'm talking about me. Listen, let me tell you this straight up. We make it so easy if you will confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, those two things, then you're saved. Paul says that, but Paul also knows there has to be a contrition take place in the heart. And he says to the, to the Corinthians, let this godly contrition touch your heart and let there be godly sorrow. And what is godly sorrow? I have sinned against the Christ. And I'm broken about it. And when that, when that takes place, then you come to an altar and God will move in your life. But the sorrow of this world produces death. The wages of sin is death. Let me tell you, now, here, here we go. I'm going to get a little bit political. Is it okay? I'm never political. Dennis is going, really? I, I saw Dennis saying, what's changed? Trump's got a slogan. This was his slogan that he, that he run on. Make America great again. That was a good one. And we like that. Here's what Paul the Apostle is saying to the Corinthians. Make the church great again. Make the church great again. We, we, if, if I was to take a vote in here, I guarantee you, and I would say, who wants revival in this church? It would be 100%. But yet, do we really have that down inside of us to see revival really take place? God, tell you what God will do. He will look at every one of us. He'll check our spirits and say this, 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 and this. And then we'll have to say, are we ready for that? Do we really want revival? Do we really want what God has to offer for us? I'm about done. Is that somebody's telephone telling me it's over? Okay. All right. What makes Christ rejoice? Let me show you what makes Christ rejoice. When the church repents, when, when Paul comes back with the letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, and says, man, I'm glad you got your house in order. He said, it really hurt me. He said, when I had to write you that first letter, he said, but now I'm rejoicing because, man, you did what I asked you to do. Yes, and that church repented, and that church started doing what Christ wanted them to do. And while I'm doing this message, you know, I'm reading what makes Christ rejoice. Here's what makes Christ rejoice. Would you put up Luke chapter 10, 20, and 21? This makes Christ rejoice. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your name your names are written in heaven. In that our Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in thy sight. I like that. So he sends out the 12, and then he sends out the 70, and they're excited. I know this Pentecostal bunch. I know they were. Why? Because they're casting out devils. Nobody else will touch it anymore because now they, they cease to exist. Hollywood doesn't think that, though. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, people. They really do exist. 
So he sends them out. Boy, I mean, they're doing it. They're casting out devils. They're seeing the sick heal. They're doing all kinds of things. But they don't say, oh, man, you should have seen the, 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 uh, the people that were healed in your name. Yeah, they don't do that. They don't, they don't say, oh, you should have seen all the people that were saved in your They said, man, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I went, I went, when we went to the DR, we cast all kinds of demonic spirits out of people, voodoo and all of them, all kinds of. And so we left, and then another preacher come in behind us, and this, uh, these demons started manifesting. And he said to them, he said, when's Gray coming back here? And they told him, so I'll leave these demons, they ain't going nowhere, he can take care of them. You can, you can smile, people, for whoever got that. But they said, even the demons are subject to us. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said this, and then we're going to stand. Jesus said this. He said, don't rejoice. Because the demons are subject to you. But here's what he wants you to realize, church. Your names are recorded in heaven. And you have been given all authority and power has been given to you. Now, when he said this, he said, don't rejoice because demons are subject to you. But rejoice because your names are written in heaven, in the heavenlies. And you have power and authority over dominion. You have power and authority over devils. But you have power and authority to walk as I walk. He, he said that. He said, your name has been written in heaven. It's an amazing thing. Then verse 21, and at that very time, Jesus rejoiced. Let's stand. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, Christ said, Harold, bring your, bring your people up here. Is Harold here? Okay, there he is. Bring your people up here. Now, in verse 21, Christ said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven, over earth, that thou didst hide these things, thou didst hide these things from the wise, men who think they know everything, and the intelligent, he said, you hid it from them, but you did reveal them to babes, children of God. Yes, Father, for this it is well-pleasing in thy sight. You want to take this, Matthew? Does anybody think it's stupid? Maybe just to me. But when you need an answer in the political area that they'll talk to a, a, an actor, is that not an oxymoron? They're actors. They pretend. They're not even real. It's amazing to me. Isn't it amazing that the world thinks it's so smart? We're watching the Smithsonian the other night, and they're showing that the Yellowstone volcano will erupt. It's not if it will, but it's when it will. And it's going to take out most of North America. And then it's going to, we're going to have such sulfur and all of this air polluted that 
And they're making arrangements. They said, we, we can't stop the volcano, but we can do this. And I'm going, no, you can't. Because once God gets a hold of this thing, listen to me, man, nothing's going to turn it around. Oh, that old volcano going to erupt. Read Revelation. Read it. Hailstones, 100 pounds apiece. I'm going to come out of the space and hit. Do you know if a, if a meteorite that big around hits, it's like a megaton bomb, let alone 100 pounds. Oh, buddy. But hey, listen to what he says. He says, now is the time, now is the, the appointed time for you to get right with God. Now, I know that you're right with God. I really do. I, I, I pray that we would see some sinners come in here and give their heart to the Lord. But I know that most of you are right with God, but maybe you're not. So there's an altar here that you can come to. And you need to. You need to come, and you need to come right now. Now that old devil, he's going to set your feet in glue, and he's going to set your feet in concrete so that you can't move. But Holy Spirit's saying, come now. And if you'll come right now, the Holy Spirit will meet you. Now, that makes God rejoice. That makes God rejoice. So how did he rejoice? Now listen, even the demons are subject to us. But he said, don't rejoice because of that. Rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Now watch this. That word rejoice. Jesus was a Pentecostal. I know he was. Because he started clapping. And listen, get, get in your Greek and see if I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll admit it, but I'm not wrong. He did a backflip. How many of you know that? Not Jesus. Yes, he got happy. He starts shouting and clapping his hands. And he, the, it, that word means like a little ewe lamb. He's dancing around. And it also means like one who does a backflip. Isn't that amazing? That's what makes him rejoice. Where are you at with the Lord? Listen, you have time right now to make it right. So would you come?